Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Eglap. It's me, Paolo, and today's episode is a special episode. As you guys know, usually Mondays are the special episodes for Eglap because that means that we have a guest who is you know, running in the current election for a particular position. And today's guest is a bit different. You know, we've um, spoken to uh, Kaliodi, who's running for president. We've spoken to two VP candidates, which are Walden Bellio and, of course, Rosalita David was their most recent one. But today we have someone who is running for senator for the country. So this particular candidate, people consider him to be an outsider because, you know, usually in politics, right? If you've held uh, positions in the past or if, let's say, you're, um, what do you call this? If you're a re-electionist, uh, you're kind of part of the system. But people consider this guy an outsider and things like that. And he has a lot of um, experience in terms of uh, when it comes to labor, in terms of fighting for labor rights and all these things. So, you know, I will let him talk more about himself. But for now, uh, welcome to Iglap, uh, senatorial candidate Elmer Kabong Labo. Sir, uh, good evening. Thank you for being here. Yes, uh, good evening, Paolo, and uh, good evening to our uh, listeners and the viewers of this program, Iglap. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Labog, so I just want you to maybe talk a bit more about yourself because, you know, you do have a lot of experience, especially, you know, you used to be a part of the workforce, you know, back in the day, under the, you know, hotel industry or food and beverage industry as well. But uh, maybe you can talk more about yourself and why you decided to run. For I, yeah, I, I still am the uh, current chairperson of KMU. And that uh, I've been with the uh, labor organization for over four decades. I took over the chairmanship uh, after Kabel, uh, Kakuspin Belfran, his uh, nickname, uh, was elected as congressman, representative in 2004. So since then, I've been uh, re-elected uh, several times in this position, but even before uh, being uh, elected to this uh, highest post of my organization, I have undergone a lot of uh, stages uh, before being uh, finally a chairperson. As I was I was uh, local president of a, a five-star hotel, uh, it was during Marshall, and that uh, we, I, I uh, have to undergo a lot of uh, process, like I've been assigned to organizing uh, Central Luzon, that was the Botanic Processing Zone, and I was sent to uh, Southern Tagalog. We also organized the uh, boatman, you know, the boatman in Pagsanhan. There were like over 400 of them during those days, but now I think they they were uh, they got depleted because of the uh, uh pandemic that came over uh, only a, a few a few uh, years back and that uh, yeah i i still maintain this post uh, we have nine federations within the center and uh, we are uh distributed to several regional organizations so the big ones would be mindanao the southern tagalog region so uh, basically, uh, I, I uh, worked as uh, a bartender in the past, yeah. but then uh, due to my uh, uh, workload with the uh, trade union center, then 
uh, I have to work uh, as a full-time officer since uh, the 80s and till now I'm with the labor movement. Yeah. Okay. So, Mr. Labog, um, thank you for that. No? So, right now, um, for this episode, will be a bit different from the past episodes that we have. So, right now, um, I really want to get into your legislative view, right? Because you do have a lot yeah. of things that you want to support and all. So, the first thing I want to ask you is, um, because under your legislative agenda, you have different categories, right? You have your wages and benefits livelihood and employment, uh, workers, um, aid, pandemic response, social services, and foreign policy. So we'll just get through these ones and, you know, you can, uh, explain, uh, you know, your position, right? So the first thing that we want to do is take a national, national minimum wage, because currently in the Philippines, right, uh, each province or each region, if I'm not that's a different minimum wage, right? I think if I'm not mistaken, in Manila, around 500 pesos, give or take. 537. But in some provinces, around 400 or, you know, maybe even less. So the first question is, uh, let's assume that, you know, you do one for senator. How will you be able to get the support from other senators to pass such a bill that nationalizes a minimum wage? Well, uh, you know, Paul, the perhaps it's uh, it should be understood that uh, with the uh, passage of Republic Act six seven two seven, this had uh, provided for the regionalization of wages, and this means that the the highest wage level now is in Metro Manila, but then as you go farther away from uh, the city center of uh, NCR. The wages are much much lower so the farther you are from the city center the lower the wages are so like if you're in tawi-tawi asilan provinces then the wages are much lower so uh the, the basis of uh, having a regionalized wage level then was that uh, the 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 observation was that the cost of living and as well as uh, the inflationary uh, rate in in provinces were lower than uh, where it was here in Sierra. But now that it, that doesn't come true because uh, uh, the prices of oil and uh, petroleum products are much much higher in the provinces. Therefore, some instances uh, the prices of uh, Goods and commodities are much uh, more higher, or even higher in, in far-flung areas than in Metro Manila. So this makes it a point that the uh, implementation of a national minimum wage at this time uh, is in place. Uh, as uh, I have explained, that the, uh, especially the unending increase in the price of oil and petroleum products makes uh, the uh, regional uh, wages uh, not that far with us in Metro Manila. So I think this is one of the major arguments we can uh, uh, express, we can explain to our co-senator if ever we make it, that uh, they should listen to the uh, voices of the workers as well as to see 
uh, the concrete conditions on the ground because those uh, basis for uh, implementing the uh, disparity in wages in every region no longer exists at, at, at the present time. So uh, we will really have to reevaluate uh, the, the basis for implementing a regionalized wage level that had been implemented since 1989. This is June uh, uh, 1989 during the time of uh, Mrs. Uh, I think we can we can uh, convince our co-senators, uh, if ever, as uh, we could point uh, point out also for uh, these funds for implementation for the implementation of a national minimum wage will be coming from. So we have the 13 billion uh, uh, in, uh, external debt, but then not all of these funds are being used for what it is intended for as uh, recently the COA discovered that there is uh, a part figure of 4.99 billion that hasn't been uh, used uh, and that uh, uh, it, it's being parked somewhere. I, I am afraid that uh, it might vanish uh, uh, in thin air if it's not uh, monitored. And so there are really uh, sources to implement the uh, uh, source of funds to implement the uh, uh, uniformity of wage levels in the private sector. So this is in the uh, private sector. But then we are also in support of the 16,000 uh, demand of uh, workers in the public sector. Uh, I think the, the only difference that with the private sector would be uh, uh, in within the uh, ambit of the Department of Employment. And those in the government sector would have to deal with the civil service commission. All right. Uh, so, Mr. Labog, uh, the one thing I want to ask you is, because you did bring up some good points that in the provinces, you know, certain goods like especially right? But why do you think um, the government, you know, made that kind of law in the past where inclusion has a different Because, for example, when you go to the grocery store, you know, it's not about vegetables or vegetables. Let's talk about your normal grocery store. Right, so bonus earning lesson, let's say, for example, how we need to buy detergent, let's, let's say around 200 and it's also 200 pounds a How did it make sense to have minimum wage these areas, but you know, the one the criminal would be Where do you think that logic? Well, uh, you know, uh, in the past, there were uh, there were just two uh. Okay, it started with the BEPS, where the uh, development paradigm of the government is that they believe that in order to uh, attract more investments in the spatial economic zone, uh, you have to depress wages and you have to uh, assure your uh, locators, uh, the, the investors in these economic zones are called locators, that uh, the uh, holiday pays, uh, low wages and uh, the uh, massive contractualization of labor, which is uh, which makes uh, wages much lower than the 
uh, regular worker counterparts are assured uh, with these uh, investors. Uh, so uh, the number of, since then, the number of uh, spatial economic zones and uh, uh, export processing zones have uh, proliferated like mushrooms in so many places in, in the Philippines. So after uh, after BEPS, we had uh, we had the uh, Calabar zone. Then uh, all over the country, these uh, this, uh, spatial zones were uh, sprouted. And in fact, uh, today even the BPOs are are considered as uh, spatial economic areas, and so they could avail of uh, tax holidays, uh, low low wages, and a massive contractualization of labor. Of, uh, of uh, labor, but then this is not really uh, uh, just. It's no longer valid as, and as you said, uh, the prices of uh, goods and commodities are almost uh, identical with uh, those in Metro Manila. If you go to the province, I've just been to um, the markets here uh, in in uh, Batangas, and uh, I discovered that the price of rice, for example, is uh, uh, are, are the same as those that are being sold in the markets in Metro Manila. But then you, you compare the wages, we have 537 in Metro Manila, uh, but then in, in so many uh, areas in Southern Tagalog, the highest would be uh, 404 pesos a day. But there are uh, companies who, that would still pay their workers uh, for as low as 210 pesos a day. And then uh, if you, uh, that, that I'm speaking of uh, the situation in region 4A, but then if you go to the other region 4B, uh, there's, uh, there's another, there are another, uh, there's another wage level that would be existing in various, various municipalities, various cities in that area, and even in uh, barangays, the wage levels would really uh, differ. So that we are calling for the implementation of uh, uniform wage levels as our data would show that the uh, cost of living and the inflationary rate in those provinces are, are much higher uh, in many cases than those that are uh, prevailing now in Metromon. So I did a quick uh, math because he mentioned that some areas pay their workers 210 pesos. Right? Yeah. Right. Day. When I calculated that, let's assume that that's only eight hours of working. That's just 26 pesos an hour. That's really crazy. Yeah, that's really, it's really uh, unjust and unjust equation. Considering yeah. that uh, the biggest, one of the biggest contributors are workers in the export processing. So in fact, they've been, they've been required, especially in big companies, they've been required to work even during the pandemic. So uh, it's not really just that they, they stay in this uh, situation. So we have to, uh, uh, to fight for the uh, uh, implementation of higher wage levels in order that these uh, people who are uh, trying to eke out a living would also survive with a decent uh, minimum wage as uh, uh, the low minimum wage would also uh, tend to push a lot more workers. Uh, to uh, uh, to join the exodus of so many uh, uh, you know technical people and professionals from our country to serve in other uh, countries around the globe that pay them 
much higher reader. So you will have to uh, note that uh, during the pandemic, when uh, the uh, government is uh, really uh, uh, in, in, in uh, a panic to uh, stop the exodus of a lot of our health professionals and workers, uh, this hasn't, uh, they haven't been uh, successful in stopping the exit of so many health workers till now, till now. So we have a crisis uh, situation in our health uh, sector, uh, as well as uh, so many uh, teachers are also uh, leaving the country to uh, land, uh, you know, in better paying jobs uh, abroad. All right. So the next thing I want to ask you is in your legislative agenda that you want to develop or create um, certain social protection programs for the unemployed, so basically unemployment benefit. So I guess um, my question to you is, what would your um, unemployment system be like? Because if you look at, let's say, other countries like the U.S., for example, um, you know, for as long as I'm un if I'm unemployed, you know, I go to the office, get the check, um, they'll try to get me a job, or they'll ask me if I try to get a job, and I say, yeah, you know, I wasn't able to. How would your system look like exactly for that unemployment? Uh, yeah, I, I know how it works in, in the U.S. Uh, they, they have a, uh, you know, uh, unemployment benefit for those who could not uh, land, uh, land a job. Uh, but it, this doesn't exist here. That's why we're, we're uh, uh, pushing for a 10,000 uh, pay for workers who've been directly affected with the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And uh, also the, the uh, return of uh, the 100 pesos uh, uh, that had been uh, uh, reduced in the uh, salaries of uh, salaries and wages of workers since uh, la December last year. So you see the real value of uh, the existing workers wages now are less than 100 pesos. Uh, so this brings me to a point that perhaps we should we could uh, gather what we call a welfare fund where uh, those have been affected by uh, pandemic and various uh, uh, illnesses would avail of this uh, welfare fund where uh, it would not be coming from the uh, pockets of both the employer and uh, employees but it should come from the uh, national fund uh, as a recognition for the uh, great contribution of workers uh, to the economy. So I think we can we can avail of this if the uh, huge uh, corporations, big companies, are not uh, tax exempt because a lot of them, are, in order to bring them in, uh, they've been provided the tax holidays other perks just to maintain their stay in this export processing zone. So, uh, you know, uh, a, a great portion of uh, the national budget should be earmarked for the welfare fund of workers. But uh, in the long run, as uh, this, this would uh, be dedicated to those uh, workers who could no longer use their uh, labor power, to, uh, uh, to bring more economic activity as well as contribution to the economy, like uh, senior citizens, a uh, number over 10 million already 
but in the long run, my, my platform would be to uh, earmark a huge amount of uh, fund for the agri-sector, especially the uh, peasants, the, uh, the farmers, who, uh, make, uh, who compose the biggest bulk of our economy. And to, the, to really implement a genuine land reform program that would uh, uh, liberate our uh, peasants uh, from the mandates of uh, poverty. You know, I'd like to, to run you down, uh, and perhaps you know very well the situation of the Chicago uh, May Day massacre in a market square where uh, the uh, massacre happened because there was a strike at the, the Mark McCormick uh, uh, Harvester Company. Uh, but then I'm not going to deal with the, with the uh, strike. But I, I wa just wanted to show you the disparity of the uh, agri-sector today and uh, what it was in the years. They were already using Harvester World Quit during the start in 1886. But now look at the uh, the uh, equipments uh, we use for our to plow our fields are still carabaos. So that's how far the uh, disparity in terms of agricultural development uh, is. That is why uh, it is uh, an important part of developing the economy to earmark uh, uh, such a fund for uh, perhaps for chasing lands that are idle or government-owned land should be distributed to those who do not have uh, their own lands to plow. Uh, that means that there are seven out of ten farmers who do not own their land, but then they should be uh, developed into huge cooperative to be uh, much more productive, uh, mass production in terms of grains and vegetables. And this would uh, give them the uh, uh, economic activity and the purchasing power. If you have uh, more uh, uh, of our population with the capacity to buy things and more equipments, then this will more or less uh, give uh, uh, an impetus for the needs for equipments and then eventually more industries to develop. And they should be uh, dispersed in the countryside in order to develop the economy in the countryside. That's uh, checking the, uh, the migration of the people from the provinces to the cities. So if we have a, a eventually a, a uh, healthy economy, this would likewise uh, check the exodus of more uh, brilliant uh, workers uh, to stop the exodus of professionals where we can we can utilize their talents in our in the development of our economy. And I think one of the uh, important aspect of economic development is uh, to, to re, uh, assert our possession of the uh, natural resources around our Philippine Sea. So there should be a holistic approach in developing the economy in order not to rely um, all the time in you know, arms, in, the, in the donations, but to really have an active population who have a, a decent uh, job and uh, would not uh, uh, maligned uh, because of the uh, uh, disparity in the economic status. So it, it's more uh, inward-looking development in order not to uh, be uh, very dependent on, on the uh, you know, ayudas and, and the like in, in that are existing 
currently, including the four peace program, where uh, I think I, I believe these uh, programs are dole outs, but then they do not really uh, uh, free people from the bondage of being too dependent on these uh, kinds of uh, benefits and programs. Right. Um, so in terms of that, uh, when it comes to workers' rights, you know, you have a lot here. And maybe we can go through them a bit one by one. So the first thing is, or one of the ones here is, you want to jump the JITCO slash JITCO that infringes upon the rights of workers. So I guess the first question there. Um, how could you maybe could explain to people who don't understand what you think are why it infringes you know, workers' rights? Which which this uh, Paolo? Okay. The J I P C O and A I P P O. Jipco. Jipco and I. -P -P -O. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this the the. The police uh, authorities are stepping uh, bounds of their uh, of their jurisdiction, and they've been uh, taking part in formulating policies within the spatial economic zones uh, to deter the uh, exercise of uh, the legitimate rights of workers, like the third uh, uh, right of organizing. Uh, ourselves into unions uh, and to other uh, uh, workers' organizations and formations. It should be left within the jurisdiction. Uh, this matter should be left within the jurisdiction of Department of Labor and Employment uh, between the employers and uh, with the uh, uh, labor sector. We operate on a tripartite uh, basis, and therefore uh, it would be out of bounds for them to be actively participating and deterring our, our rights to uh, uh, form our organization, as well as to bargain uh, freely and collectively for uh, our members. Uh, they make the excuse of saying that the JIP had been formed in order to uh, deter uh, militant communists, and uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the uh, militantly demanding for his height for uh, asserting our rights to join uh, organizations and forms as well as to uh, bargain collectively uh, and to uh, act uh, uh, to conduct actions in order to assert our rights and to increase uh, our wages and benefits. But then these activities, uh, to their uh, belief, would uh, really uh, scare investors in, in uh, the spatial economic zones as they were assured that uh, uh, other than low wages and uh, contractualization is the scuttling of rights of workers in order to uh, express and demonstrate that these spatial economic zones are really zones of peace and neutrality. And so uh, we think that it's an illegal act of uh, the police uh, and uh, the uh, government itself have been uh, silent on this uh, infringement on 
workers' rights. Uh, that is why we filed uh, complaints with the international uh, labor organizations, organization as well as the United Nations Commission on uh, Human Rights. And these are uh, existing uh, cases that are supposed to be heard when the uh, uh, ILO high-level mission uh, would can come to uh, the Philippines in any time uh, from now within this year. So uh, it's uh, it's a law. It, uh, no, it's not except a law. It's it's a policy that had been imposed with it against our will, and that there is a collective uh, uproar against the uh, uh, assertion of this law against uh, the rights of uh, the Filipino. All right. Next, one I want to ask you, uh, Mr. Lang, is so the NFT LCAC um, order or executive order has been very controversial. So, for our viewers and our listeners, that is the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict. So I wanted to ask you, Mr. Lang, would you want to to junk uh, this very controversial executive order? Yes, uh, uh, that would be uh, on my agenda because uh, we believe that uh, this body is out of place. It uh, uh, it brags uh, itself of uh, being uh, able to accomplish developments, uh, especially in, in various barangays. But actually, this one sort of corruption, as uh, the uh, dispersal of funds and the uh, projects and activities should be handled by the LGUs and those funds uh, that are supposed to be uh, to be outlaid for projects within the barrel that should be given to uh, local government units and not uh, uh, the ELCA. Uh, secondly, uh, they've been using the uh, powers of this office to uh, sow uh, fear amongst the ranks of the activists, especially uh, the basic sectors of uh, peasants and uh, workers. And worse, uh, it comes to a point when people uh, are red-tagged and the uh, extrajudicial killings follow. Especially, uh, Mr. Duterte assured uh, his police that they can go on a killing spree and it would be uh, unsearable uh, to their acts. So this also emboldened bodies like the NPFL to do their bloody thing and that uh, this is, uh, uh, there is no place in, in, uh, in a, an acts like this in, in a civilized society. We've been uh, uh, victims of their uh, uh, continuous uh, uh, surveillance as well as uh, the uh, red tagging of so many of our leaders and uh, Organizers, especially in Mindanao and uh, Central Luzon, as well as the Southern Tagalog region. In fact, the, the uh, Bloody Sunday massacre and the uh, listed lot of uh, organizers have been victimized primarily by this institution as uh, they uh, would, uh, would uh, surveil people and uh, uh, verify uh, leaders in order to do the kill uh, later. So uh, I, were, I were elected uh, one of the uh, 
uh, uh, active role that I would play is to see to it that this uh, institution is jumped. Yeah, I wanted to ask him, Mr. Lab. So back in 2015, Mr. Tutu's campaign was all about the end of illegal jobs in the country, and all these things. So my question is, would you have agreed with President Trudeau that the drug problem in the country is really bad? Because the way you know the Trudeau campaign, it may come out that the Philippines are not in the or something like that. So the question is, would you agree with them that the There's a noise that's uh, going with your last, uh, the last part of your question, Paul. Oh, sorry. So I guess the question, uh, what I was asking is, because again, President Duterte said that the Philippines had a really bad drug problem and the campaign made it come out that, uh, you know, the Philippines is like a narco state in terms of how the drug problem is. And my question is, do you agree with him that the Philippines problem was that bad? No, uh, I, I do, I'm not uh, agreeable about uh, on the way he handled the uh, drug problem, as it uh, resulted with so many deaths. Uh, I am of the firm belief that uh, even if people are are uh, found to be uh, using drugs or, or old addicts, I still believe that they should be given their day in court. Uh, he has no right to uh, summarily uh, uh, blatantly uh, 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 have a disrespect of uh, human rights, even if uh, uh, this is uh, a, a prevalent case in the Philippines. Uh, I also believe that this is a case of uh, a health, uh, health uh, uh, situation, and it should be uh, handled by professional doctors and physicians who know uh, the trade more than he does. Uh, and uh, it would be uh, incoherent with the respect of uh, human rights to be using the uh, uh, high-level approach of uh, like a double bo double barrel program uh, program or the operation for where uh, the rights of ordinary citizens have uh, been blatantly uh, uh, disrespected. Uh, and uh, also, in, uh, during the pandemic, the killings have been a continuous thing that, uh, that happened. And therefore, uh, I believe that there is a massive uh, violation of uh, uh, human rights. And in fact, this uh, attention has been called by the uh, international uh, uh, criminal, uh, uh, international criminal court that he has been found to be uh, in violation of uh, in violation of crimes against humanity. And so this uh, makes it clear that uh, his program uh, against the drug menace wasn't really that uh, successful and uh, that he should be uh, accountable or answerable for his deeds as well as those uh, would have been a, uh, part of uh, the uh, violation, passive and blatant violation of human rights. So as uh, I said earlier, I think uh, these people should be given uh, the, their day in court and 
uh, those cases should be uh, uh, treated as health uh, health uh, uh, health cases and thus should be uh, handled more by medical uh, me uh, medical profession. So I guess it's safe to say that you don't agree with Duterte in terms of how bad the drug problem is in the Philippines. Yeah, I think he exaggerated the situation as being equal to those that are prevailing in the so many Latin American countries. But I don't think that is really the case. So in order to have a license to to kill people and to really uh, exaggerate the situation that the, uh, the drug uh, situation is uh, really uncontrollable. Uh, I think it's still uh, uh, manageable if it's really treated uh, well and on a, on a uh, point of view of, uh, of health, uh, uh, health crisis rather than uh, criminality. All right, uh, Mr. Labo, the next thing I want to ask you about is, uh, you know, if you put your accounts, right, basically what you're saying is that you want to implement a comprehensive sample to control people to response to combat uh, I want to because I feel that that's a very big enough time to discuss detail. But I wanted to ask you, you pro or anti-mandatory vaccination? Uh, I am anti-mandatory. I, my, I, myself, I am fully vaccinated, but I think it should be uh, a, a choice uh, given those who would like to avail or not. Uh, it's, uh, it's their own selves. Uh, it's their body that being subjected to this uh, requirement, and so I, I would leave it to them to choose whichever uh, life they would like to track, uh, whether to avail of vaccines or not is their choice. So I am not in favor of uh, implementing mandatory vaccination. Okay, I have to ask you, uh, Mr. Labo, because, you know, when you look at the World Health Organization, or when you look at the CDC, you Dr. Fauci, they're saying that the reason why there's so many different, um, sorry, variation is the wrong word, but I'll use variation the, the word for now. There's so many um, different variations of COVID. Uh, and one of the biggest reasons is because of people who are infected. So I'm just wondering that you know, yes, you know, it's ideal that the person give them the choice whether or not they want to be vaccinated. But you know, uh, if they aren't vaccinated, you know, over and over again. So the question is more of do you not think that it's better to have mandatory vaccination so that um, people so that we can stop this mutation? And hopefully, flu. So it's more about that. I mean, that's the way the pros and cons of that situation. Yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts. Uh, well, uh, in the first place, we this uh, vaccination program are still uh, are still till now uh, on the experimental stage. That uh, there are no studies that really shows that uh, uh, fully vaccinated people are not uh, prone to being uh, uh, being uh, 
uh, sick from other variants of the COVID and that uh, those who are unvaccinated are those that would uh, affect those people who are vaccinated. Uh, uh, having said that, uh, I think the uh, research and development of uh, vaccines should also be supported in in the Philippines. But then uh, it's a question still of right uh, whether to really uh, have a mandatory vaccination program or just uh, have people to choose uh, what what to do with their with their bonds. Uh, I think it's more of the uh, educational aspect to uh, to really uh, express to explain to more people uh, the benefits of uh, being vaccinated and not. Uh, but then again, I wish to uh, to uh, underscore the thing that uh, all these programs, even if it's it's a statement kind of coming from Dr. Fauci. Uh, are all in the experimental stage and that uh, if ever we must uh, must uh, in the long run uh, develop our own uh, uh, vaccines instead of uh, of uh, depending mainly on those that are being peddled by big pharmas uh, and uh, i believe uh, we can do that with the talents and the availability of uh, raw materials uh, in, in plants and other uh, sources of uh, medicines in the Philippines. So I wish to under the, underscore the thing that I myself uh, uh, would avail for these vaccines, but I would leave the choice for people uh, to uh, avail or not, not to make things uh, mandatory. No, I, I understand that, and to because you mentioned a while ago that there are no studies that show that those who aren't vaccinated, those who are, in terms of getting sick. But you know, that's where the question comes in about mutation. So there are studies that come out that, okay, um, for example, when we look at the latest uh, mutation, which was, uh, shoot, I'm blanking here, but when there are many studies that have come out that. When a certain number of people who have COVID who are you know under ventilation machines or ventilator machines, less than five percent are those who are completely vaccinated. So, but then when you compare it to those who are unvaccinated, the number can skyrocket to maybe sixty or even seventy percent. So, you know, having these kinds of studies show that huge difference. Shouldn't that encourage you to, um, you know, maybe say out that you know, um. Vaccines are important. It should be mandatory, but the government maybe should um, find ways to make it easier for people to get vaccinated. So I mean, it's just yeah. more of that. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you should. We should have a more education programs to uh, for people to uh, freely avail of this uh, program for vaccine uh, vaccination and the like. Uh, instead of, I think uh, the only part that I am against is the uh, the uh, mandatoriness of, of the uh, uh, program. Uh, but then to avail of vaccines, I think I, I'm, I'm open to uh, really uh, convince more of our workers to uh, come to uh, avail of this, uh, vaccination. Okay. Understood. All right. That, that's fair. So I have one more question for you before we get to the quick fire <laughs> 
uh, the quick fire round is just simply yes or no. Uh, you don't need to explain your position. Okay. So you want to talk. You put your plat. You want to the ruling. By the court, right? By the permanent court arbitration. You want to uphold it. So the question is, if the administration is still China, right? Whoever wins, how will you be able to help that? Well, I, I think uh, the uh, decision of uh, the uh, arbitra arbit arbitral ruling, uh, especially the unclosed or uh, not uh, considering the nine dust line of China as a historical basis of owning the the uh, huge uh, large uh, part of the uh, West Philippines as well as South China Sea. Uh, it's a very strong argument to keep uh, these uh, possessions uh, uh, as uh, Philippine-owned. And therefore, uh, I think uh, we have to be more uh, uh, aggressive in terms of uh, pushing uh, uh, the uh, implementation of this decision uh, and uh, also to, to conduct uh, uh, diplomacy, uh, not just with China, but uh, perhaps to gather, uh, for instance, other neighboring Southeast Asian nations to, uh, to form a, a, a good, great alliance uh, against the uh, uh, owning of China, of this uh, uh, natural uh, reefs and resources around the West Philippine Sea and the raptors in the South China Sea. I think one of the major uh, programs I, uh, that I would uh, foresee is to uh, include in our uh, curriculum the program of being nationalistic uh, in terms of uh, uh, reviving the subjects of history in order that uh, uh, later generations would have a deeper understanding of uh, our uh, history and uh, ownership of these uh, natural uh, resources surrounding our country. So uh, practically, I think we should uh, have a stronger uh, defense of our territories. And this, I know that this would entail a lot of funds, but then the funds are right there. And that is why uh, 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 many of the, uh, our neighboring countries wanted to claim rights in this uh, natural reefs and the uh, deep uh, parts of our uh, seas and ocean. So I think we, we can eventually have to strengthen our, uh, our defense system, our postcard, as well as uh, uh, to have a nationalistic uh, 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 population in order to assert our ownership of these uh, uh, natural uh, resources in, the, in our seas. All right, thank you for that, Mr. Labuk. So let's go to the quick fire round. Uh, so again, all of these questions are either, you know, you're either pro or anti, or it's a yes or no type of answer, no need to explain. So first question is, will you support the legalization of the divorce in the Philippines? Yes. 
Okay. Uh, next one is, would you support uh, same-sex marriage in the Philippines? Yes. Okay. Uh, next one that I wanted to ask you is, um, would you would you support the passage of the anti-discrimination bill? In Soji bill, yes. Yeah, the Soji bill, yeah, correct. Okay. Soji bill, yes. uh, last one that I want to ask you uh, before we you know, let you go and all this. Do you support the because right now i'll explain the, the question first so the market says or have been told that the BIR is going to collect 203 billion taxes from them uh the question is will you if you become senator will you support a movement to force the Marcoses to pay the 203 billion peso bills there? I think the, the, the total tax collectibles from them is around 320 billion. A lot of money to sustain our economic activities. So I will be very supportive uh, in the, of the uh, movement to claim back this uh, Manis, uh, that they were supposed to pay uh, to our, our national uh, uh, revenue. Uh, and I will actively participate in this uh, uh, program to uh, win back this uh, stock that, are, that they are supposed to give back to the Philippine people. Oh, so it's bigger than I thought, so 320. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just learned of the figure just recently today. I mean that, that could um that could that three hundred twenty billion pesos could easily fund all of your programs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. It's a yeah. good amount. So before I let you go, Mr. Labo, I'd like to thank you for being here. Uh, I know you're not feeling too well, but thank you for um, being a trooper and continue on with the interview. I greatly appreciate it, and my viewers will you know are definitely very appreciative of it. Uh, before I let you go, though, uh, I just wanted to ask you. So there are a lot of people out there wherein they haven't completed their list of 12 senators, right? You know, they maybe have 10 or 11, etc. I mean, you were recently um, endorsed by one Sambayan. You're one of the 10 That's senators. right. That's right. I don't think they'll go for 12. But my question to you is, what can you tell the Filipino people to convince them to vote for you? Like, why is voting for Elmer Labo worthy of your vote? Yeah, yeah it, it's election time again, uh, Paul, and uh, a lot of politicians would be uh, uh, promising our people, the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything in the universe. But then uh, for myself, uh, I am not uh, promising the things I have just discussed with you. I am doing them now, especially the increases that we wanted. I dream to have a national minimum wage as well as to chunk the uh, uh contractual contractualization uh, and to have a, a a to see a brighter and prosperous uh, uh philippines and the filipino people and so uh, i think uh, uh, my uh, my track record will show that uh, i have uh, dedicated uh, a big uh, portion of my life with uh, the working class and uh, the other uh, downtrodden uh, part of our society and so i think uh, with these uh, values with this uh, experience that i had uh, i and i wish to add more that uh, for so many times i've been uh, asked to be resource speaker uh, in the lower house as well as senate 
and I think compared to others who have been elected and just sitting uh, and spending their their time uh, uh, boring the their seats, uh, I wouldn't be the type of uh, of uh, a people's representative, but I would uh, promise really to be more dedicated uh, to serve the basic uh, uh, basic needs of our people, especially to uh, have a, a a country that is free from foreign domination and control. So these are my uh, programs that I am not promising, but we are already fighting for them since uh, many many uh, years back so i think uh, number 37 uh, in new ballot uh, would be a very a very well valuable contribution to uh, develop uh, politics uh, and uh, the economy once uh, i am considered to be uh, one of the uh, amongst the 12 senators this coming electoral exercise well, thank you, Mr. Labog. Uh, you know, before I let you go, I'd like to thank our sponsors for the episode. So thank you to Swagat and Cuisine, to Maskimar Manila, and to Dermit. Sir, um, I'm hoping that maybe you could do some plugins, you know, for your social medias because, I, you know, this is usually, this is a very short episode compared to the others. So I'm sure a lot of my viewers and the future listeners will have a lot of questions for you. So where can they contact you? Uh, so they can yeah. You you can access my my page uh, and the uh, it's the bong to the senate uh, and uh, the Gmail is bong to the senate at gmail.com. So you can easily access a lot of uh, our programs there and our activities uh, that should be uh, followed by our listeners and the watchers of this program power. All right. Well, Mr. Mabog, uh, thank you again so much, sir. I hope you get better. And I wish you luck in these elections. Yeah, I, I'm good, Paolo. It's just my voice that's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. coarse. And uh, I'll be good uh, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, but yeah, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, maybe later this year we could have you back again and maybe I'll be calling you Senator Mabog. I think that's... Oh, uh, I hope we make it. And uh, thank you very much, too, for giving me this opportunity to talk to our... Uh, uh, to our people, and I hope uh, really uh, we could uh, find help from several quarters of our society. Uh, really winning this uh, political exercise. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, I just want to reiterate for our viewers um, if you want to contact Mr. Labog, it is Bong Labog, number two, yes, Senate Movement at gmail.com. You can email him there or you can just type. Elmer Kabong Labog on Facebook and you can probably message his page there and either him or his staff would definitely answer all your questions. Mr. Labog, um, thank you again so much. Uh, take care to our viewers. Thank you again. Iglap will be back this Thursday. We will have uh, someone running for Congress this time on the Departmentalist Movement. But till then, uh, Mr. Labog, thank you again so much, sir. Nice thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, sir.